God is good. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Having been in the Gospel of John, your Bible should just naturally open up to that place. So just flip back a few pages. We'll be in Luke chapter 7 today. And we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of Luke that is surprisingly overlooked, at least by my estimation. When you think of resurrections in the New Testament, you know, people being raised from dead to life, which ones come to mind? Hopefully you think about Christ, right? That should be first and foremost in our mind because our very salvation, our very eternity rests on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then you might think about Lazarus. We've been going through the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. You might think of uh, Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, and, and it's found in another Gospel. Or you might even think about uh, in Acts, uh, Tabitha being raised back to life by uh, Peter, Acts chapter 9. But our, our passage today may not be on your list, but it should be. So let's read it and find out why. This is Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin reading with verse 11. Lord willing, we'll go through 23. Luke 7. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he, he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And notice, she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier. And they that bore him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto you, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And they delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all of these things. And John, calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you he that should come, or look we for another? And when the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto you, saying, Are you he that should come, or look we for another? And notice verse 21, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Let's pray once again. Father God, we are so grateful and thankful for the beauty of your word, for the truthfulness of your word. We can rest in that confidence today that you have promised to speak through your word. That's all we have to go by. And we thank you for that. Because I know my words cannot accomplish anything 
in eternity. But yours can. So, so I'm asking today that, that my thoughts be your thoughts. My words be your words. Dear God, use this time in a special way in our hearts. May we be obedient to the word that you proclaim to us today. And Father, we just ask that everything that is said and done in this place would bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So out of all the physical effects of the fall that we suffer from, the most tragic, obviously, is death. Death was not the original part of God's creation. Humanity was designed to live forever, enjoying the presence of God, unbroken fellowship with God. But part of the curse of the fall is that, as humanity, we have to taste death. And even if that death was reserved only for the very old, and 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 I mean over a hundred, well over a hundred, even if it was only reserved just for well beyond triple digits, it would still be tragic, right? We would still feel the loss when people we love pass on. But we know from very real experience that death touches young and old, rich and poor alike. And sometimes that makes life seemingly unbearable. You know, just three weeks ago when most of us were either finishing up uh, with our Sunday lunch or getting up from a Sunday afternoon nap, you probably turned on the t- television and you heard about a, a fatal helicopter crash out in California. Nine people taken, including former NBA star Kobe Bryant, who was only 41 at the time, and his daughter, who was only 13 at the time. When things like that happen, we're rightfully shocked and saddened. Because there's this suddenness, there's this overwhelming loss of people whose lives were cut so short. And times like these force us to reflect on our own mortality, on the, on our own, on the brevity of our own lives. Especially under the curse of the fall. But in the midst of all that grief, this morning there's real hope for humanity. It's not found in empty platitudes, well wishes, but in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, by Jesus' death and resurrection, he offers eternal life and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth untainted by sin, untainted by the fall to all who will repent and believe the gospel. You see, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he ushered in his kingdom with him. And slowly but surely, he is undoing the corruption of the fall. And I know we live in this this awkward, already and not yet state where Christ's kingdom is here, but it's not fully experienced. And we and we know that because we see tragedy on every hand. We know it's not fully experienced yet. But when Jesus was incarnate and came to this earth, he brought his kingdom with us to, and to us. And slowly but surely he is restoring things to the way they're supposed to be. And we long for the day when he'll do that finally. And so this morning we're going to see how Christ's kingdom, it intervenes amidst a very tragic situation and brings very real resurrection hope to those suffering from the ravages of the fall. So let's give a little context to our passage here, uh, to the Gospel of Luke as well, and, and to this idea of Christ bringing his kingdom in. Because in Luke, with the pronouncement of angels, with the birth of Jesus, all of a sudden, God's kingdom had come to earth. And, God, and we know that God sent a herald to prepare the way before him, known as John the Baptist. Uh, he was to prepare the people to, for the arrival of King Jesus to come on the scene. And he preached 
to everyone that would hear that you need to repent and prepare your hearts to receive the kingdom of God. And some believed, and some, as we know, didn't. And one of those men who didn't was the king of the day, Herod Antipas. He didn't like John's words, and he didn't like John, and so he threw him in prison. You can find that in Luke chapter 3. But even though Herod had detained the messenger, he couldn't stop the kingdom of God, because the real king, not the king of the day, the real king, King Jesus, showed up and proclaimed that his kingdom was here. And so that's what we see all, all throughout Luke's gospel, is Jesus is advancing the kingdom of God. In chapter 4, from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus declares that he has to go out and and proclaim the kingdom of God to all the cities around about. That's the reason he was sent, Luke 4.43. And then in chapter 8, right after our passage today, Jesus goes throughout all the cities in Galilee, continuing to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And then after that, in chapter 9, he sends the twelve out. To go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He gives them authority over sickness, over demons, and tells them, take this power and go proclaim that my kingdom is here. And then after that, in chapter 10, he sends out 72 more to go and do the same thing. He gave them power to heal the sick just as he had. And to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God had come near to them. To all who were suffering under the, the burden and the, and, the, and the brokenness of the fall. And to authenticate his kingship and, his, and to demonstrate what the new kingdom would be like, we see Christ performing all sorts of wonders, all sorts of signs, giving us glimpses of his kingdom. And that's what we see in our passage today, here in Luke chapter 7. And that's this, Christ's kingdom brings good news into the kingdom of this world. The first way he does that is by showing compassion to those affected by the fall. He shows compassion to those affected by the fall. This is verses 11 through 13. Follow with me again. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Naim. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when they came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. Notice again, the only son of his mother. And notice... Her, she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And the Lord saw her, and he had compassion on her, and said to her, Weep not. So I want you to, I want you to get the picture that Luke is painting for us today. Two kingdoms are colliding here. The kingdom of God, which is marked by life and joy, and the kingdom of this world, which is marked by grief and death. We see that in these two crowds of people that are meeting, outside the gates of this village here in Galilee. And remember, everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd naturally. Some were just curious onlookers wanting to, wanting to see Jesus perform a miracle. Some perhaps were desperate. They were infirmed and they were looking for a miracle. And, 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 and there were skeptics mixed in the crowd, but there was also those who believed that perhaps Jesus was the Messiah. And they wanted to hear him teach about the kingdom of God. Because they were ready to receive. And so Jesus' group is going into the village with joy and excitement. As he proclaims the kingdom, people are being healed along the way. People's lives are being changed along the way. And so there's all this excitement building up with Jesus. As he performs these mighty works. As he undoes, undoes some of the suffering of the fall. 
And you, you know, in fact, Jesus' crowd oftentimes was criticized for being too joyful, weren't they? You know, in, in uh, it, just a couple chapters earlier in Luke 5, it was the religious crowd who says, you know what, Jesus, your disciples don't fast. You know, they're, they're not religious enough for our taste. They're too, they, they get a little too excited. And remember what how Jesus responded to them. He said, how can the wedding party fast when the bridegroom is with them? It doesn't make sense. Jesus was saying the appropriate response to the kingdom is to celebrate. Christ is bringing in his kingdom. But see, Luke is also giving us this study of contrast. He's going to butt up together two things which are very different. They're alike in some ways, but they're, they're very different in other ways. So imagine the polar opposites here. On the one hand, you've got this crowd of people that are excited. Jesus is with them. Things are going well. People are being healed. Jesus is teaching along the way. But now look what that crowd runs into. As they're about to enter the city, they're met head on by a large group of people headed in the opposite direction. And it's not just any group of people. It's a funeral procession, isn't it? And we need to understand how desperate a scene this is for them. Because our funeral, funeral processions today have become very modernized and, and very, if I can use the word sanitized to some degree. Because think about it. The body is placed in a coffin. The coffin is placed in a hearse. The hearse has tinted windows. You can't see it. You can't, you, you can't see it at all. The people who, who are grieving, they themselves are enclosed in vehicles. Oftentimes they have sunglasses on to hide their eyes, to hide the grief, to keep it back. So unless you're in the procession, you're very disconnected from the grief that's going on with it. But that wasn't the case back in Jesus' day. Back in Jesus' day, the people would march very openly out the gates of the city to wherever the cemetery was, to wherever the burial place was. The body would be wrapped in burial shrouds and it would be carried on this, this platform called the beer from the city to the tomb, to the, to the final resting place. But this instance is made even more sorrowful, isn't it? Because it's not just a funeral. Notice how the woman is described, this grieving woman. She is known as a widow, right? So think about it. Think about it. She's already made the trek once, hasn't she? Out the gates of the city. She's already gone to the, already gone to the, to the cemetery once to place her husband in the ground. Or in the tomb, or in the, the cave, however it was set up. She's already done that once. So anyone with a heart would say, you know what, this woman has suffered enough. But we know from very real experience that the fall takes more than that, doesn't it? And that's what we see here. Because this woman, who has already lost her husband, has now lost her son, hasn't she? But notice how the son is described. It's not just a son, that would be bad enough. But what? It was her only son. And in this society, there's no social safety net. Her son was the only thing she had left to take care of her. There was no, no husband, and now there's no son to take care of her. And she's lost both of them. So you can imagine the grief. And the, the, the text also tells us that, that most of the village came out with her. So there's this large group of people, and they're all mourning. 
With very few words, Luke has painted a picture of despair and hopelessness. You're meant to feel this woman's overwhelming grief. You're meant to imagine the loud wails and sobs coming from the crowd of mourners. And it's right here into the midst of this grief that Jesus brings the kingdom of God and intervenes into the situation. You see, the crowd of mourners, they weren't looking for the kingdom of God. Instead, Jesus brought it right to them. He collided the kingdom right into their circumstances. And, and notice what Jesus does in this passage. It's very, it's very instructive for us. The first thing he does in verse 13, we, we, we might even overlook it, but he sees her. He sees a person. He didn't just see the problem or the circumstance. He didn't view the, the funeral procession as an obstacle in his way. He was headed toward the city. Oh, they're in my way and now we have to wait for them to go by so we can go. He didn't see it as an obstacle. He saw a person made in the very image of God who was being absolutely crushed by the fall. And then notice what he does next. Because he sees her, he has compassion on her. When Jesus saw her, he was moved with compassion for her. What is compassion? It's not just feeling pity. It's not just some thoughts and prayers idea that is often said more than it's meant. Instead, it is identifying with the sufferings of others. And then being moved by action, and being moved to action, to try and mitigate or, or alleviate those to whatever degree we can. And isn't it great to know that in Jesus Christ we have a great high priest who is moved by our sufferings and who is able to do something about them. That's what Jesus does. He sees her, he has compassion on her, and then he speaks to her. But notice what he says, because it's kind of odd if you think about it. He says, weep not, do not weep. If you didn't know who Jesus is and you didn't know the rest of the story, the command to not weep might seem rather out of place, right? And It might even seem insensitive. How could she not weep at a time like that? Don't you know she's a widow, Jesus? Don't you know this is her only son? But see, Jesus was not scolding her for weeping over the brokenness of the fall. I believe he was gently telling her, Daughter, dry your eyes. The story's not over yet. See, he, he brought good news that death wasn't getting the final say that day. Because the kingdom of God had come near to her. And see, Jesus' actions are so very instructive for us today. Because Jesus saw people, but do we? Do I? Do you? Have we gotten too busy and wrapped up in our own schedules and our own plans to truly see people the way God sees them? I'm afraid too many times that people become obstacles to avoid instead of opportunities to share the gospel with opportunities to share the love of God with. Yes, people are messy. I'm messy. We're messy. Yes, we're time-consuming. People are time-consuming. And too time-consuming to fit into our efficient, no-margin-for-error schedules. But as Christians, folks, we're in the people business. I have to remind myself that all the time. I am very task-oriented. I get... I get I get a plan and I know i got to accomplish this goal. Let me get after it. Let me finish it. And then I forget, wait a minute, I'm in the people business. 
People are our business. And if we believe in a sovereign God who orders our steps and is determined to redeem the world, then we have to believe that when we encounter people in various states of brokenness, it isn't by accident. God has ordained that because he wants us to bring the kingdom of God to them. We need to see them as Christ sees them, identify with them in their suffering, and be moved by the love of Christ to to act and share with them a better word than has been spoken. We are called to bring the good news of this kingdom in. And that's a good thing. Because there's real hurt and there's real brokenness in our world. And remember, we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings real transformation. It brings real hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see next from our passage. So how else does Christ's kingdom bring good news? Secondly, by restoring what the fall has corrupted. By restoring what the fall has corrupted. This is verses 14 and 15. Notice what he says next. And he came, this is Jesus, he came and touched the beer. And they that bore him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto you, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he, Jesus, delivered him, this man brought back to life, to his mother. So just as Jesus had interrupted this this grieving woman, he then interrupts the whole funeral procession by walking up to the pallbearers and simply placing his hand on the burial platform. He didn't speak a word to them, but with the simple touch, they stood still. That's power and authority that King Jesus has. But notice the symbolism here, because the people had resigned to take the body out the gates of the city, and the, the city is the place of living, to the cemetery, which is a place of death. They thought it was all over. They thought it was the end of the story. There would be no hope for change in this situation, because nothing is more permanent than death, right? But Jesus stops them in their tracks and spoke the words of life and hope into the ear of a dead man. Young man, I say unto you, arise. Notice the authority in Jesus' command. There's, There's no elaborate speech, just a simple word, arise. And at Christ's command, the dead man came to life and he sat up on the bier and began to speak. And then Jesus, notice what he does. He gives the young man back to his mother. Think about this. When a baby is born, the doctor takes the baby and gives it to a mother. New life. Here's your new life. And now Jesus is doing the same thing once again. He's saying, he's, this is not a baby, this is a, a grown man who's come to life and saying, Mother, here's your child. He's restoring what the fall had separated. He's undoing the corruption of the fall. And Jesus was proving without a shadow of a doubt, He is the one sent from heaven, the Messiah. He's demonstrating authority over everything, including death. And he's making the bold claim that his kingdom would be abolishing death. And all of the tragic consequences of the fall. We, we, we know we haven't experienced that fully yet. But we know, and we long for that day when he comes back, he makes all things new. There will be no more death, and no more sorrow, and no more suffering. But here we are today, in a world full of grief and heartache, Surrounded on every side by turmoil and chaos, conflict and division. We, we are confronted with the degradation of the fall every day. Every, every time we wake up. Every time we step foot out the door and even before then. 
But in Christ, we who were spiritually dead have been gloriously resurrected to new life. A better life. See, this is a permanent resurrection. It's a dying to sin and being raised to new life in Christ. Eternal life that the fall can't touch. That death can't touch. We have real hope to offer the broken. Real hope. It's found in the risen Christ. He died for the sins of the world and was resurrected to rule and reign forever. It's what we've been singing about and been worshiping God for all this morning. King Jesus suffered all things on our behalf. And now he stands victorious and undefeated, having overcome the world. Just as in our study in the Gospel of John, he encouraged his disciples. In this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, be of comfort, because I've overcome the world. Because Jesus is alive now and forevermore. All of us who have been raised with Christ through faith in Him are brought into His kingdom. But we're not just brought into His kingdom, we're made ambassadors. And daily we are colliding the kingdom of God into the fallen kingdom of this world. We're called to take the gospel into the broken places of our lives and the lives around us that, that we come in contact with. To share with them a better hope. So as we go, bring God's vision with us. See people the way God sees them. See the people, not just the problem. Bring God's compassion. Act with God's love. And most of all, bring God's gospel that carries with it real hope. Real transformation. So let me ask you this morning, what are the dead and broken places around you? Where do you see the fall most real in your own life and in your own circles? Who or what needs restoration and reconciliation? Perhaps God has placed in, in, in a burden on your heart for a particular person or a group of people. That's, that, that's outstanding. That's great. The question for you then becomes, how can I minister the gospel to them in their specific situation, right where they are? How can I take the gospel to that situation? Because it's the gospel that spe- speaks to the primary need of the heart. And part of that answer is to seek God for practical ways of serving them. Practical ways to, to alleviate the effects of the fall we see in their lives. That will allow us open doors for the gospel to be shared with them. And our ultimate goal is to spread the glory of God. Until, until all the world, until everyone believes. Until, and, until everyone worships Him. And that brings us to the third way Christ's kingdom brings good news. Look at it in verses 16 and 17. Christ's kingdom brings good news, number three, by spreading God's glory throughout the world. This is verse 16 and 17. Notice this. And there came a fear on all. And notice what they did. They glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. So notice the people's response to the kingdom of God being brought near to them. What was the first thing that happened? They were afraid. They were terrified. And that's just natural. We see that all throughout Luke. When the angels come proclaiming the birth of Messiah to, to the shepherds, they fall on their faces in, in complete and total fear. This is a natural response to power and authority. Such a display that was shown here. You see, it's one thing for Jesus to heal the sick and infirmed. I mean, 
We've seen people get better, right? I mean, medicine can do some of that, right? Not to the degree Jesus can, but we've seen people get better. We've prayed for people and we've seen them get better. But raising the dead back to life, this is unheard of. That put that puts God's power on full display. Especially because we know that death for us in this world, it, it, it seems like it's final. So it's only natural that people will be terrified at first if they see a man command a dead man back to life and then that dead man respond in obedience by sitting up and speaking. Imagine the poor pallbearers here. They were terrified. They, did, they didn't understand what had happened at first. But then, notice what they did next. They, then they glorified God. So as they took in all that happened, they realized that only God can do this. Only God could have done that. And so their fear turns to joy. They recognized God's hand in it all. And they gave him the glory for it. And, and I will say, we need to be reminded that God's glory is the end goal for Christ's kingdom. He is determined to have his glory spread to the ends of the earth. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether they want to or not in that day. God's glory is what it's all about. And the people, they recognized that Christ had brought the kingdom of God to them. And they glorified God for that. And then let's look at a third thing, the way they responded Notice that the good news of what Jesus had done, it spread throughout the region. It didn't just stay with, with that with that funeral procession there, or, or that interrupted funeral procession there. Jesus was accomplishing his mission. He was proclaiming his kingdom had come to earth and to undo the curse and, and to bring deliverance. And the people rejoiced because God had visited his people. This idea of visitation you see there in your text, God had visited his people it, it, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It carries with it this idea that that God has directly intervened into the affairs of human life. Direct divine intervention. That's what this idea of visitation is. God's looked down upon us with favor and he has acted on our behalf. And that's precisely what Jesus did, didn't he? He came down from heaven, looked upon humanity with compassion and intervened on our behalf. All the way up to the cross and the tomb and the empty tomb. He intervened. The good news that God had visited his people in such a way spread from town to town. Word of mouth passed it along throughout Galilee where they were into Judea to the south of them. And then from there it went even further. Now some would be curious about that. They were like, what? Somebody did what? Some, some might believe. Some would remain skeptical. But with each act and word, Christ was advancing his kingdom further and further into the world. And, and I want to back out a minute because I believe this narrative highlights the difference between kingdom work and merely good work. You see, when it's kingdom work, God gets the glory. And his mission is advanced. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. We should do good works. We should try to alleviate suffering and promote human flourishing wherever we can. Yes, absolutely. But human flourishing can only truly happen where hearts are transformed by the gospel of Christ. That's why our work must be motivated by the gospel and coupled with the gospel message when we go. Because as I said, the primary need of every person 
regardless of where they come from or, or, or what they're going through in life, the primary need of all mankind, you and I, is to be reconciled to God. Until that happens, all we're doing is treating symptoms. Now, we should treat the symptoms, but we treat the symptoms in order to share the gospel message. But if we remove the message and just do the works, we're short-circuiting the process, aren't we? We're, we're robbing people of an opportunity to know real transformation, to know real hope. You know, we, we talk about that uh, in Summit Ministry, don't we, Bob? Uh, but Bob says this to us almost every time. You know we're not going just to hand out lunches, right? Because if it's about feeding people, then let's focus on making sure the meals are as good as they can be, right? Let's improve the meals and improve the meals and improve the meals and give them more food. And the focus becomes about that. But our focus is about using that meal as an open door, right? To go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. To let them know that we care about them. We see them as real people. We love them. We want to bless them in, in a small way. But we want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to carry the message with us in that. In whatever you do, whatever your ministry is, whatever your, whatever, whatever God is calling you to, whatever place of service, we have to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything short, and people will look at us and say, you know what, that was a real nice person. They did a real nice thing for me. And all the glory goes to us, who are doing the good works, because they don't know why we're doing the good works. We have to let them know. It's because we've been perfectly loved by a Heavenly Father, and He loves them too, and has, and has called us to go and share that love with them. You see, the kingdom of God calls for us to magnify Christ in our words and deeds so that He would receive glory from those who are currently stealing it from Him. Because that, that's all of us apart from Christ. We are robbing God of His glory. We're worshiping things other than Himself. So when we serve and share, and we should whatever ministry that is, whatever place of service that is, they need to know one thing, and that's this. The kingdom of God has come near to them. God has visited you today. They need to glorify God. They need to see God in it. They need to hear God in our message. It can't just be a good work for the sake of doing good works. The Red Cross does that. But we're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And And that's a completely different thing. And let's look at a final way that the Christ kingdom brings good news. This is found in verses 18 through 23, and that's by encouraging faithfulness despite opposition. Christ's kingdom brings good news into the, into the kingdom of this world by encouraging faithfulness despite opposition. This is verses 18 through 23. And the disciples of John showed him all of these things. Remember, the news of this Man being raised back to life, it, it spread throughout. Some of those people were the disciples of John. And so John calls unto him two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus, saying, now, Notice what he asked. Are you he that should come, or should we look for another? Kind of odd, don't you think? But when the men would come unto him, they said, John, John the Baptist has sent us unto you, saying, Are you he that should come, or, or do we look for another? And notice Jesus' response in that same hour. Before he even said a word to them, notice what he does. He cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. 
And then Jesus spoke, right? He acted and then he spoke. Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. Let him know. Let him know what you've seen. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended by me. So back in our text, as, as I said, remember, the, this good news is spreading around. The word's going to get out. A man has come back to life. That's that's noteworthy, right? For, for, for any time, I don't care how inundated you are with news, if, if that happened today, the word would get out, right? It would be all over social media. People would know about it. And we know that the disciples of John heard about it. And remember, John is locked up in prison at this point. And so he, he's not free to come and go at all, but apparently his disciples are free to come and visit him. And so John sends an emissary back to Christ to verify that Jesus is truly the Messiah, which seems like an odd thing for a man to ask who... Remember, he's the one who baptized Jesus, right? He saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove upon Jesus. He heard the voice of God from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he was the one who himself declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why the doubt now? Why the question mark now? But let's examine this closer. Because John had faithfully served as a herald for the kingdom of God. He had preached to everyone who would listen that they needed to repent and receive the kingdom of God because it was near, it was close to them. But now look at him. What did he get for his faithfulness? He's wasting away in a prison. He doesn't know his future. He doesn't know if he'll get out. He certainly doesn't know that in, that in a short period of time, over, over a, a foolish act by a king, his head's going to be chopped off. He doesn't know any of that. He didn't know if, if he'd spend the rest of his life there. He had done w- what God had asked him to do, and yet the results didn't seem to be there for him. Maybe he even thought about messianic prophecies like Isaiah 61.1, where Messiah will, tr- will, will free the captives when he comes. He will free the captives from their prisons. And so he said... This is what Messiah is supposed to do, so why am I in jail if Messiah is supposed to free the captives? You see, John faced real opposition. We also have to remember, he was a real human being too, wasn't he? He wasn't one of these uh, these ideas, that these Sunday school ideas we get of, of men and women in the Bible, that there's these super spiritual, you know, they never have a doubt, they never have a, 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 a bad moment. This is a real person with real doubt. Prone to doubt and fear and weakness just like you or I. And you or I are not currently in prison. Are we? Maybe you just need a reassurance. Maybe you just need a confirmation. Jesus, just let me know that I was faithful to what you asked me to do. But whatever the case, notice how Jesus responds. It's remarkable and I think it's so gracious. He doesn't criticize John for doubting any more than he criticized the widow for weeping just a little bit ago. Instead, what does he do? He just performs signs and wonders in the presence of John's emissaries. And those signs should sound familiar because they're the exact things that 
the, the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 61 says. And remember that Isaiah 61 is also the passage that Jesus preaches at the beginning of his ministry in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, uh, in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, on the day when they came, he stood up and read this passage, Isaiah 61, and then he closed the book and looked at him in the eye and said, Today that this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Of course, the people didn't respond like they should have, right? They were so angry. They tried to kill Jesus. But Jesus told John's disciples to take the message back to John. Let him know what you've seen. Let him know what you've heard. Go tell John. The blind can now see. The lame can now walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf can now hear. And I believe that Jesus saved the most important two for last. He says the dead are raised to life. And notice... I think the most important of all, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus ended the message to John by encouraging him. You know what? uh, We see that verse 23. You'll be blessed if you'll just not be offended by me. If you'll just stay faithful to the end. Despite the persecution, you'll be be blessed. He was saying, John, don't be like the people of Nazareth and harden, harden your heart. Or stumble at my message. Or be offended by consequences. Of bringing the kingdom into the kingdom of this, the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world. You're going to be met with opposition. It's just natural. He was saying, John, trust what you have seen, what you have heard from me. Don't allow those hardships and sufferings to cause you to turn away. Remain faithful until the end. And Christ's kingdom brings that same encouragement for us today. We can endure hardships of exclusion. Mocking, rejection by friends and family, which is very real. We can endure that for the sake of the gospel because we have the promise of God's word, right? Jesus is precisely who he says he is. His kingdom will overcome the the kingdom of this world. Regardless of what the world thinks as Christians, we're on the right side of history, folks. And we're on the right side of eternity, which is even more important. When we share the good news of the kingdom of God, we're on the right side of history. Because the kingdom of God is the way that it really is. Not the kingdom of this world, which is temporary and fleeting and passing away. We can be encouraged by the hope of eternal life this morning. To remain faithful even when it gets hard. Because we serve a very powerful God. Who has power over life and death. And with the word can change anything. But what about you today? Have you entered into the kingdom of God? The scriptures say that in order to do so, you must become like a little child. Which means you must realize that that you're helpless. You are unable to save yourself. There's nothing you can do. Your good works won't save you. Coming to church, your whole life won't save you. Being baptized won't save you. Giving your money won't save you. You're unable to save yourself. You're unable to pay for the sin that you've committed. Come helpless like a child. And come dependent on Jesus Christ like a child for forgiveness, for cleansing, for adoption into his family and into his kingdom. This morning, the kingdom of God is colliding with your heart. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, answer the call while he is near. As we close, a few practical applications. The first one is this. 
Experience and share Christ's compassion with others. Christian, you have been loved fully, so love fully. But notice, you can't share what you haven't first experienced. You have to experience it first. And you have to remind yourself of that daily. Get in His Word. Experience Christ's compassion for you in His Word daily. And then carry that out into the world. Secondly, glorify God with your words and actions. Don't short-circuit the process. Make sure when we go and we serve with others that they know why we're serving them. It's because we love them because Christ loved us and He loves them too. Make sure they know why we do what we do. And then lastly, is simply this. Allow the certainty of the kingdom to motivate your faithfulness to the kingdom. Christ's kingdom will not pass away. Who else should you look to than Jesus Christ? Whom else should you serve than Jesus Christ? His kingdom is certain. That will motivate your faithfulness to the kingdom. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we come to a time of invitation this morning. How has God's word struck your heart this morning? How has God's kingdom collided with your heart this morning? For some here today, you may be grieving. You may be broken over a situation, over, over how the fall has touched your life and your family. Christ sees you this morning. He has compassion on you. He is moved. And He is able. Come this morning. He offers you compassion this morning. He offers you His grace this morning. For others, you may be convicted about a place of service that God is calling you into. If God's leading you there, go there. And remember, you're carrying Him with you. You're carrying the kingdom of God with you. So carry the gospel message, the message of His kingdom, the good news that He has come to set the the captives free. He has come to deliver from sin and from the bondage of self to a world that's lost and dying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truths found in it. Oh God, I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be free to, to draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself this morning. That, that we would be obedient to the call you place on our life today. As Christians, you God help us to be confident, to walk confidently in your kingdom, knowing that it, it will never pass away. It is for eternity. Dear God, help us today. Use, use this time of invitation for your honor and your glory. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we stand to our feet this morning and sing, if you need to come and use uh, the altar for any reason, uh, feel free to do so.